Yo, man. Boom, Miss Rusty. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast, the Public Access Podcast, here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN. Uh, yeah, thanks for being here. And I don't know, I guess I'm not going to talk about the sponsors or the other shows. So, yeah, just go to QGBN anywhere you find your stuff. And Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, hey guys, it's Wednesday. It's 10 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast. I'm not sure where a special guest is from. So we're going to find out, I guess. I guess that'll be my first question. I usually like to know, set of curiosity, it's probably something I could look up online or you could look up online, but I, I like to ask it. And probably it's been asked in other podcasts, but I like to ask it. I like to know, this is my show. This is my show, gosh darn it. So you guys, thank you for being here. And uh, you guys, you can leave a message here if you want on the show. I'll play it. Give me a call. It's my phone number. You can even have that. Uh, 503-974-6420. Leave a message or don't leave a message and be all like, hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. It's all like, yeah, I keep saying that. It sounds stupid. So anyway, here's something that's not stupid. I'm bringing my special guest right here, right now. Uh, right now, right here. Right here, right now, a special guest. Today, we have Rex Sykes coming on here at some point. I think he's going to. If not, I can just talk about whatever. I might have came on a little early. I said, okay, yeah. I told him four minutes, but uh, I ended up changing up what I'm doing for my interest. So now I'm make it like two minutes or so. So Rex, thank you for being here and uh, being here on the show. I appreciate it. Good to have Rusty, you. Rusty, thank you for having me. It's a privilege and an honor. And uh, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to speak with you and your viewers. Absolutely. Listen. Yeah, thank you. And uh, so... You have a Hawaiian shirt on today. Uh, wh where in the world are you? Are you just a man who <laughs> who likes leisure uh, clothing, or uh, are you in Hawaii? I'm I'm actually in uh, the Midwest, and I, I go back and forth between the West Coast and the Midwest, uh, where I, I live. I I I moved here from the uh, uh, from California to raise my children after a divorce. You know, to so that I could be a dad with them and not uh, be a summer dad. So I, I go back. I still go back and forth, and uh, I wear a Hawaiian shirt. You got a moment? And I'll tell you a quick story. I, I have as many <laughs> moments as as you need here. I was uh, 18 years old. I, I got a job writing uh, screenplays with a, a woman in Beverly Hills, and uh, she wanted me to stay at her home and to write. So that if it's three o'clock in the morning. She and her husband wanted to write, you know, I would be there. I was like their sounding board. I was their muse, you know, uh, whatever. And um, at, at, that was in the 70s. So we'd just come out of the hippie days and the, you know, the punk hadn't quite happened and the disco was there. And so, you know, wearing the clothes of that era were, were pretty tight shirts and pretty tight pants and patent leather shoes. And, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. Sure. So she looked at me you know, the first day we met and she said, God, aren't you uncomfortable in that? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. So after about a week, she said, uh, you can't wear that in this house. And like, what are oh. you talking about? I'm going to get you some clothes because you need to be able to relax and let it, you know, so she got some Hawaiian shirts and some drawstring pants and some, like some flip-flops. So she said, this is what you're going to wear. And I, I was like, no, no way. This is not me. This is not cool. This is not anything. I was so, embarrassed and she would take me around she'd take me to the like the rose bowl flea market in different places and introduce me to celebrities and everything and i'd be sitting there going i don't really dress like this or anything and oh, um okay i know it sounds crazy now but at the time i mean it was just not you know so, something new and uh but after a while i got to like it i really got to like it and i really enjoyed it and I've done a lot of corporate training and, and keynote speaking and associations and conferences and on stages and always had to wear suits and ties and dress up. And and um, so in corporate trainings, I always, I always made it my personal challenge to see if I could get out of my suit, out of my coat and into a T-shirt, maybe even take off my shoes within a half hour or so of, of beginning a training. 
and to get them to do it too as a way of saying, look, you know, I know there's corporate culture and you can do that, that's fine. But in this room, I want you to be comfortable. I want you to relax. I want you to cut loose. I want you to let go. And the reason for that is that a lot of people can buy very expensive clothes, but the inside of them is, is not very expensive. In other words, there's a lot of empty suits walking around teaching and training and selling and buying and doing all these things. It, it, you know, it was always the clothes make the man. But that's not true. It's the man makes the clothes. The woman makes the clothes. If you're a person of worth, it doesn't matter what you wear. There are plenty of millionaires and billionaires who dress as hobos because they don't want to be recognized as a millionaire or billionaire, you know, and right. so they, so that they can walk among you. So I dress comfortably and I have friends of mine who go, Rex, you got to put on a suit. You got to do the thing. You have to be like everybody else. And I go, no, I don't. What I want to do is I want to be I make goofy videos on TikTok. I, I, I broke my tooth, you know, and I'm waiting for a, 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 an implant and um uh, so I, I, I make fun of that. I do these silly things. I'm with my dogs and people go, well, why would you ever do that? I go, because I'm a person just like everybody else. I share some really powerful, positive, productive things that you can use to transform your life. But when it's all said and done, I put my pants on one leg at a time. You know, I eat. You I haven't eat tried to one at a time. I mean, it's not about being better or trying to impress people with my clothes or with cars or jets or homes or jewelry or trophy spouses and, and things like that. It's about going, you know what, I'm, I'm just like you, we're in it together. Why don't we sit down, have a cup of coffee or whatever it might be and let's talk. It's, it's, yeah. it's the be approachable, not be, you know, not be some icon up on the stage that's unreachable. I mean, have you ever gone in and you've had those, uh, I don't know if it's been a conference or some some job where it's a sales thing or something and someone's like, oh, okay, here's the keys to my, my BMW and throw it down. And like, uh, like, but then you don't know what they're doing. You don't know if they're in debt for all this. And they're just having that just to, just to put on this facade. And they're like, okay, this is all I have. I, the, the, the BMW is me. I am not, I I am only as worthwhile as my car keys. Do you know, I've driven some really fancy cars in my life. I've never owned one. Because as I grew up, all a car was for me was a method of getting from one place to the other. It's a box with wheels, and I don't really care. As long as, it, as long as it fulfills its function, the form doesn't matter. I don't, yeah. I don't, to pull up in a fancy car so that people go, oh, look at that car, that guy doesn't do anything for me. And, and it, I know it does for other people, but, but here's, here's a really important thing. There's so many self-help people out there who are sorrowfully misinformed or they're deliberately lying or they you know they just don't know any better is that they tell everybody look at what you can have you can have a i mean i get it because desire is fine it's good to want things we we innovate because we want things to be better or we want to get away from things that aren't you know comfortable for us so there's nothing wrong with desires but they put up these cars and the jets and the clothes and the jewelry and the this and the that and the everything else and go look you can have this if you work really hard, struggle a lot, willing to re-sacrifice, sometimes they'll say crush the competition. Sometimes they say work with the competition, whatever it might be. But if you do these things, you can have those things so that you can be someone of importance. And I say that's horse crap, right? Right. You, you are important. If you'd like to. Okay. Well, thank you. It's horse yeah. crap. You can, or pucky, as they say, or pookie, depending on where you're from. But at any rate, um, it's you are important. You are infinite possibilities. You are infinite resources. You are infinite uh, opportunities. You are already important and you're valuable and you're worth everything and you're worth all of those things. But you don't have to struggle. You could. You certainly, you know, you're welcome to if that's what you want. But Napoleon Hill and thought leaders, including myself, have always said it's think and grow rich. It's not work hard and grow rich. And, and if you understand that work of Napoleon Hill and the laws of success, which so many people don't, because they take it as this serious book about persistence and commitments and dedication and this and that and the other thing, and if you don't take action, you're not, there is that, but it's also about vibration and fun and delight and enthusiasm and pleasing personality and, and, and cooperation and harmony with, with yourself and with others and the universe. So it's a very spiritual book and a very spiritual approach that even the a lot of the people that teach it don't get it. They they make it this think hard and grow rich as opposed to think and grow rich, you know. And and so my message is a very simple one. It's not about me. 
It's about you. It's about what you want and how you can get it and how you can do it through fun and delight and ease and, and less effort and make it swifter. Because in a nutshell, people want to get somewhere. They want a destination. They want to, you know, I, when I was a kid, my parents would travel to Texas and to different parts of the country where we had relatives and I would lie in the backseat going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like many kids do. Sure. Getting there sucked. Being there was fine. Well, here's the thing. If, you're, if your destination is a house, a car, a relationship, a lot of money, a successful career, fame, whatever it might be, you may or may not get there. I mean, you could die before you get there. Something could interrupt you or right. you just never get there. So what's the alternative is, is to make the journey to getting there absolutely fabulous. Because then if you get there, you've had a fabulous time all the way. And if you right. don't get there, you've had a fabulous time until you don't. And, 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 and this is what people miss. They want you to struggle and hard and do all this stuff and sacrifice your family and your friends and your free time and everything, you know, by, by that concept. And then what do you, how many people get to the end of their life and go, I should have worked harder an extra day. Not many. I, Not I don't know. People. Yeah. And you know, I'm, with that, I mean, are you getting people that are, like, so most of your clients and people that get your book or come to your your speeches, uh, are they already in this mindset or are a lot of them more in the, uh, well, in the you, need, you need to change their mindset? Because, I mean, <laughs> if, if you're going through that much of your life, just going, it's going to get better. I mean, it's stupid. I, I, I tried that when I was in my 20s. I got I got about halfway through my 20s and then. I I stopped that and I changed my thinking and I doing doing what I want to do and like you know I'm but it's it's working it's working yeah. out now it's okay. it's so I mean and it's hard to tell people that because I don't think people want to believe it I don't cause just because of what they've been you know well, um, you're right ingrained in their mind no I mean you know we have these silly psychological principles that some have merit and some are just hogwash but you know we have that notion of cognitive dissonance if if something doesn't uh, agree with our preconceived notions then we you know we suffer in some way inside and you're trying to rectify it or we maintain you know we look for confirmation bias in order to maintain our position because we don't like being uncomfortable with with the challenge of something being opposite to what we think or what we expect um, so you know Anything is possible. I attract people from all walks of life all around the world. Um, some are the people who need or want convincing, you know, but most of them, what I do is I put out a particular vibe. I don't want everybody. I don't, you know, I mean, I'd love to help all 8 billion plus people on the planet. I'm, I'm willing to do it, but I attract certain people. I attract very smart, very wonderful, very positive, very powerful people who want to improve their lives as opposed to just fix things to make their life manageable or tolerable. Uh, we, I've done that, you know, it's like medicine, you know, is remedial and for the most part, you fix a broken leg, you, you repair a, a you know, a tear, you, you do something. It's not very holistic. It's not very, um, feed, it, it doesn't promote health and well-being as much as it promotes repairing a problem. And what I do is promote health and well-being. I've done all the repairing problems in my past. I mean, I've worked, you know, as a consultant to do that. I've worked as a, you know, an NLP guy, a hypnotist, a therapist. I've done all these things where, you know, I mean, in my early career to, to help people get over the things that, you know, they were suffering. And I still do, but there's an easier, better, and and more efficient way to do that than, than a lot of the ways that, that are being offered people. So I attract people who, it's like a, it's like an athlete who wants to be an Olympic uh contender yeah they are not looking for somebody to fix them they already perform pretty darn well <laughs> they want somebody to take them to the next level they want somebody to make them the champion that's that's the kind of people who come to me and i'm really that's and but that's the vibe i put out you know i have lots of millionaires and billionaires who've who've said look at everything i have i have all this stuff but then i'm i'm stuck being who i am and i don't like who i am can you help me They've accomplished everything except self-love, self-acceptance, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, generosity to themselves. And so 
I mean, you know, I, could, I will help you yeah. do that, whether you're broke or whether you're rich. And, uh, and but, you know, most people who come to me already want, they're inspired to change in a positive way. So, I mean, how many people are wanting to, or like that, that don't realize that they're in need of it? I mean, that Great question. is that, I mean, is there a, a lot that just well, think that? That's how it is. Let, I mean, let like, me, uh, uh, let me answer it this way. In Napoleon Hill, way back when, you know, 1925 or 1937, whether it was loss of success or thinking, said only two out of 100 will ever take charge of their lives and become the master of the fate and captain of their soul. The rest will just drift aimlessly. They'll wish, they'll want, they'll complain, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll whine, but they won't actually take charge. They'll dabble, they'll do this, they'll do that, they'll work really hard, they'll struggle, and they'll stay pretty much where they are. So the statistics aren't very good. It's 98% of the people will never do anything. That's why in the screen, I'm a member of the Screen Actors Guild, only, only one to 2% actually make a living in the Screen Actors Guild as an actor. 87% make less than $26,000 a year as an actor, which is, the, which is the bottom line, what you need to make in order to get insurance through the union. And so, so but, are, but are some of those... I was just oh, going to say, ahead. statistics are the same in the world. That 2% of the population is more wealth than half the world combined. You know, I mean, so it's, right. it's so what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, so is that sort of a standard within the, the Screen Actors Guild with um, paying people that amount, that 26000 for oh, they uh, don't a that. project? <laughs> they don't pay that. You have to make that. You know, you, you, actors pay dues, you know, whether they pay, like, say, $100, uh, you pay it twice a year, whether it's $100 or whatever the, the lowest is, up to, I think, $5,000 a top. So you have this tier, depending on the kind of money you make. So an actor who makes $500,000 a year will pay the same amount of dues as a person who makes $50 million a year, which is not fair in any, by any way, right. shape, or means. But that's how things are set up. That's just the way it is. But here's the thing. So you're paying your dues. You have to get the job. You can only work union jobs. You, you know, you're not allowed to go out and, and be a scab. You can't cross union lines, can't do the non-union work, blah, blah, you know. So and and so if you get the job and it's a union job, it could pay $125 a day or a thousand dollars a day, depending on what you're doing. At the very minimum, if it's a really low budget, they you get a one salary. If it's like TV, like a day in TV, you get nine hundred. You get about a thousand dollars. If you're Tom Hanks, you might get a hundred million dollars to do the movie. If you're somebody else, you might get what what I just said, the scale, the you know a union. You could get you could make fifty thousand or five. I mean, it, it all depends on on your cash value to the producers. But what yeah. they pay you is insignificant by why they're on strike the writers and the actors are on strike is what they pay the actor and the writer which is in many cases a lot more money than most people make in their jobs or their careers so it's it's you know people can be resentful go why should we support the act right. at the same time um an actor might only work once once a year I mean, they may make one movie. They could work one day and make $1,000 or $125, or they could, you know, work and never work again. I mean, it, it, it's not like you have steady employment. So, the and then it's, you know, it's taxed, the whole thing. But the point is, is that the CEOs, the people who are running the businesses are making $600 million a year, $800 million a year, a billion dollars a year, $200 million. But, the, but that's not happening for the other people. But yeah, like I saw some of the people who like... Uh... There was like with uh, the office, I think there was a guy that uh, I think he was saying that like when, when they, because they on Netflix, they, you know, made the people who were on top made a, a bunch of money off that, but then he didn't like get any extra royalties and uh, stuff of that I mean, nature. That is, that is the problem. I, I made a movie back in the seventies that was very popular. We played everywhere all over the place. And before it, but it happened prior to the strike of like 1980 or 81, I guess it was. And so HBO came along and they wanted so many free showings and everybody wanted free. I mean, we made almost no money in the residuals and everybody else made tons of money off this movie. 
And well, we didn't see any of it. Yeah. And uh, they re-released the movie a few years back. I worked with the director for about a decade to get this movie re-released. And the people who re-released the movie made money again, but we didn't make a dime off of the re-release. So, you know, I mean, it, it, the, the issues are, if you do a job, if you're a factory worker or you work in a doctor's office or you're in a librarian or you're a chef or, I mean, any uh, noble jobs that you could, every job is noble. I mean, somebody needs to do it. Well, yeah, I guess. Well, but no, but let me, you know, when you're on a movie set and you see like nowadays they can do it with CGI and special effects, but in the old days, if they had to do a ticker take parade, for example, in, in New York City, they did a ticker take parade. They threw all this down. Somebody had to clean it up. That person was just as important as the people who were making the movie, because if they didn't clean it up, the movie would never get made. If right. somebody's not picking up the crap off after the horses or the cigarette butts off the floor, you know, you need to understand that a movie is a cooperative event and, and not all people approach it that way, but it's cooperative. And the lowliest person is as much important as the, if you think about how movies started in the old days, they got a camera, you know, and it, they would crank it and you couldn't move it. And so they would set it down and it had pretty much outdoor sets. And they would go, you know, this would be, look better with a plant. We need a plant. So they would stop and they'd run out and get a plant and they'd come back to put the plant in there and go, Oh, this would be better if we had a cat. Let's go get a cat. So they'd stop and they'd go get a cat or would you go get a cat? Well, ultimately, these all became departments. They said, we need somebody who can get plants, who has props, who has the set, who has the electrical, who has the, you know, the makeup and the hair so that we don't have to stop everything all the time. And every department, acting as a department, directing as a department, lighting, cameras, all departments are all as equally important as the other ones. They just don't get the glamour like some do. Right. And I mean, they don't get any back end points either. Then they don't get any most of them they don't, they they get paid straight no, up. No, because because they're not seen. And that was my point about noble jobs. Is you know, you're if you do your job in a dental office, the effect you have could be astounding. You could be affecting tons of lives positively or not, but but hopefully positively. But but it's not on tape. It's not recorded. It's not for resale. Right. But an actor, a writer, a director, you know, is somebody who puts their work out there. An author, you know, is somebody who speaks or teaches or trains, puts it out on, on audio or video or whatever, is, is putting something out to be offered repeatedly. And they've created it once, but they, they may sell it multiple times. Well, if the person who's the content creator or the main celebrity star in it or the lowliest actor and it doesn't get paid but the but the the big companies get all the money off of it well then all they've done is created their content and given it to somebody else to profit by yeah and so then i mean yeah the people at the top are doing pretty well and well if you're i mean if you're an author of a book or the, or if you made some music and you recorded it don't you think that if you genuinely created a, a an original piece of music and and put it out there for sale that people should pay you to get it instead of paying a company to get it, you know, and where the company makes all the money and you make nothing. Right. Nowadays, not, and I, I don't pay to play. I gotta, I'll be real candid. I, you know, people, there are people all over, they go, uh, you can pay to be in this book and it could be a hundred dollars or 10,000 or $30. You can pay to speak on my stage or my platform. That's, yeah. Ridiculous. I know. I, I will publish your book for a fee. I mean, I've been agented and managed all my life since I was a kid. Yeah. People put me out there. I'm a puppet. I go, tell me what the where you want me to go and I'll do my thing, you know? But yeah. but I'm not gonna pay to do my thing. I've paid my dues to be where I'm at. I've I've worked for free. I've done all sorts of things in my life. Yeah. I've given stuff, tons of stuff away, but I'm not gonna pay you and, and this happened yeah. ago. they used to fly us around as speakers and put us up and dine us and one you know all this kind of stuff and then one day they decided no nah, we're not going to do that anymore you can sell your books in the back of the room well if you could sell your books in the back of the room that was great so you paid to get there you paid for your hotel you paid for everything and then you went and you tried to sell your books if you didn't sell anything you're out and all but there were some people who could do that who were very well off and they could also sell their books. So somebody might walk away with selling $250,000 from a platform of merchandise. Well, then the then the providers went, well, wait a second, we want to share in that. So you can come and sell your books, but we take 40% or we take 60% or whatever for the opportunity for you to do that. 
Sounds like pro I, wrestling. I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. Right. I, you know, Henry, Humphrey Bogart said this. He said, if, if an actor owes his audience a performance, then what he owes himself at the very least is integrity. So that's why yeah. he would do everything. That's why I don't do just anything or everything because I, I go, I have to sleep at night. I have to feel good with myself. I want to be, you know, who I am and what I am, why I wear the Hawaiian shirt and why I go around with a broken tooth. You know, it's because what you see is what you get. If you don't like it, you don't like it because I may not be for you. I may not be for everybody, but if I am, feel free to come. We'll sit down, we'll talk, we'll shake hands, we'll hug, we'll, you know, we'll play, you know, whatever, and I can help you transform your life. Yeah, you're you're somebody's people. You're and um and that's that's great. And I mean you, you don't you don't need like you don't need everyone to like you and everyone's not gonna like you, and that's okay. And but you the people that do like you connect with you on a much deeper level because you're being authentic to yourself and authentic to them. Whereas you're not trying to deaden what you're doing by trying to appeal to the masses. Because well, I, 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 mean, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, it's, it's much more nice to be liked than not to be liked. I mean, I'm not out there trying to step on people's toes and, and make them not like me. Sure. I am willing to stir the pot or be controversial at times or be provocative or try to poke holes in what's going on because what awareness is about is what are our blind spots because if you don't know what your blind spots are if you don't right. know what your biases and your prejudices and your automatic conditioning is and that's what i'm good at i mean this is this is my area of expertise i've been doing it nearly 50 years is is that we are patterned you know we have these neural pathways that are all laid down and conditioned of thought habits the feeling habits speaking habits behavior habits and they operate reliably and automatically and outside of consciousness. I mean, you don't even, you and I don't even know how we go and get a drink of water. We have the muscle memory. We have the intention, right? It's cell memory, it's muscle memory, it's all the, but, but just to pick up, I have a cup of tea here, but just to pick up a spoon, I don't do that consciously. Right. I do it unconsciously. My body does it. My, my, my brain does it. Everything does it. I just go, I, I got to pick up the spoon. Now, I have a friend, I write about him in my book, Life on Your Terms, Jamie Nieto. He was an Olympic high jump champion. In fact, in 2016, he was the oldest high jump competitor. And he was in 2008 and 2016. He missed uh, 2012, but he did. But besides the Olympics, you know, these these people, Jamie, and by the way, his wife is a uh, Olympic champion as well. She was a hurdle jumper. She's also been on um, America's Got Talent. So Jamie and Siobhan. But then, it's but hurdle he, jumping, for yeah. hurdle jumping. No, 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 not not for singing on on on. Um, oh, okay. So she's got to learn how to sing and do some triple jumping. Then uh, right, where she thinks they, 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 the, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, amazing. They're amazing people. Amazing couple. They got two adorable young children now, and he's a writer and an actor. And uh, but in 2016, after the Olympics, he was teaching some people to do a backflip, and he demonstrated, and he slipped on something when he landed, and he ended up paralyzed quadriplegic he could move a little bit of his left pectoral muscle and that was it so and here's so, an olympic champion he's like 35 years old or you know 36 years old and he he's now quadriplegic and when i found out i i messaged him and said you know jamie you know with your mental conditioning and what you've done all your life if anybody's going to walk again it's going to be you and he said rex as a matter of fact I'm I'm beginning to show improvement. I'm being able to do certain things. Well, he said, and I, again, I write about this in the book, but he, and and I invite people to read it. He um he wanted to walk his bride because they weren't married yet down the aisle unassisted. So that was his mission. A year from then, when they were going to get married, he wanted to be able to do that. Year from the accident. Yeah, I saw him. Well, it's a little longer than the year, but what you know. Um, so, during the summer, the accident, I think happened in April kind of thing, you know, the pre, whatever, preceding year. It was either, may, I, and I might be thinking wrong, it might have been a year or two years, I don't exactly remember. I did see him, I think, eight months after the accident, I we, we met in a restaurant in the LA area. And I sat inside and I saw him get out of his car with a walker at this time. And it took him, I'm going to guess... You know, I mean, what would have taken you or I or most people under a minute to get from the car, maybe a minute, two minutes to get from the car into the restaurant, took him over a half an hour. 
with his walker, with his fiance, with his with other assistants, because he had to consciously, deliberately, with intention, move every part of his body, his hands. He had to move the walker. He'd be able to move his legs. And I watched him do this. He came in. We spent an hour or two together with you know lunch. And then he got up to go out. That was his life. But he was used to training himself as an as an athlete, which most of us aren't, right? So he was willing to put in the work or the dedication or the commitment. The attitude was, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. I can do it. And because he's a man of faith and he believed in himself and he believed in his God, he ended up walking his bride down the aisle unassisted. And he 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 performs on, he's in a TV series. He writes, he does everything. They would put him as a bartender in a show and they put him on a stool so he didn't have to move around a lot. But But he has reclaimed his life fathered two children they have a you know a wonderful relationship and he's continuing but he's continuing because he understood the value of conditioning and and most of us operate from conditioning by default and it's the stuff that we don't want it's the okay ho-hum or the things that really suck and sometimes it's nice but we're not aware of it and so when he was paralyzed he had to become aware of how to move again which is, which is something you and I do without thinking about, can't even think about it. You know, we can't, how do you think about trying to pick up a spoon and all the muscles and everything you have to do? Where, where does it originate in you? Right. So, Somewhere. So, I know. I mean, so for me, what I do with people is it's, it's the blind spots that they, they don't see, the holes in their thinking, uh, the holes in their feeling, the holes in their behaving, the holes in what they say or how they affirm horrible things for themselves instead of wonderful things for themselves because they don't even know that they're doing it. And, and it, how how much of that is what is actually making them like them thinking that subconsciously or unconsciously that they're not you know cut out for whatever that they truly want to be. I mean, is that I mean how does someone get past that or does it just or do they just uh, they not know, or do they just you know, just not happen? Like you, you can't go back and undo everything. It's, you know, you can't go back and change every thought and everything. So what you have to do is start with what it is that you want to accomplish. I say forgive yourself for everything because you did the best you can with what you had, with what you knew at the time. You know, you can't be expected to be ten steps ahead of yourself if you're not ten steps ahead of yourself. You are right where you are. So we make mistakes, we do good things, we do we live life just where we are, which is eternally present. What happens is most people who are here right now in their physical being are mentally in the past, where it's either the past sucks, they're they're wounded, they're 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 broken, they're some terrible thing happened and they carry it around for five, 10, 15, 50 years, or the past was so good that the present pales from by it. Oh, the good old days, the wonderful days. Nothing has ever compared. I was great back then. Now I suck. You know, a lot of a lot of stars, a lot of athletes, a lot of people have that kind of thing. You know, back when I was a champion, now nobody wants me. You know, celebrity is a bell curve. You, you go up one side, you get to the top, and you come down the other side. And some people, when they're sliding down the other side, are still trying to, you know, they they're not they're not going. Let's make the best of this slide. They're, they're trying to stay at the top and fighting the fact that, that they're not wanted. And they, so they create more problems because they don't realize that they could be doing something different that would bring them a, a better, productive, more wonderful experience. So, um, you know, most people just aren't aware. The other thing is they're either not in the past or they're in the future worried about something that's probably not going to happen, but they think will happen because, you know, they say that. 80%, 90% of the worst things we fear don't come about. But what right. happens is we live as if they've come about without them actually coming about, you know, so we fear them, we doubt them, we worry, we do all this stuff. And so we don't go forward the way we could. And we let that stop us or prevent us. And so um, understanding that right here, right now, you are right where you're supposed to be. You can't be anywhere else. Like I'm sitting in a chair. I can't be sitting over there. Now, I, I get right. that in a holographic universe, there might be multiple, you know, dimensions or multiple, you know, uh, Rexes, you know, or or Rusties that are, you know, have decisions in front. I mean, I get the concept and everything, and, and it certainly is is valid. And you can step into any one of those and live a different life. But the one that you're aware of right now is the one you're aware of right now. Right. And that's the one you're at. And that's the one you need to address. 
because that, that's that's what you're creating at this moment. Most people don't realize they're creating their experience as it is right now and as it is unfolding. So if they don't like it, they have to stop and say, I'm responsible for this shit. I, I, I said right. that because you gave me permission to swear. Yeah, you have absolutely permission no. to, but they to say, say I, I'm responsible to. for your shit. And here's the reason why you need to say I'm responsible for the shit. Because people say, well, I'm not. It's the circumstance, it's God, it's the banks, it's the, you know, it's them, it's the government, it's this, it's that, it's everybody but me, or it's my past. It's I didn't know, you know, whatever the blames, the whines, the complaints, or the excuses are. You have to understand that when you take responsibility for creating the shit, you tap into your power. Because if you go look at all the shit I created, now all I have to do is create good stuff instead. It's a matter of aiming your power toward the good stuff and away from the shit. And that's what people fail to do most of the time. That's why I'm here. That's why they're, you know, through from ancients to moderns, there are people who say, hey, there is a better way to be, a better way to live. You're perfect as you are. If you want to accept that, that's fine. If you want to transform it, that's fine too. You know, I mean, in other words, nobody's saying you have to change, but if you want to change, you can. Right. And, and, innovation, uh, yeah. and innovation comes from discomfort for the most part. We have refrigeration because it was too hot. We have heating because it was too cold or we put on coats, you know, or whatever to change our circumstances or to change our, our, our stuff. But what most people need to do is change their reactions, change their conditioning. And, yeah, and Jamie, my friend, was con conditioned himself during his lifetime to have a champion's attitude and then to pursue that physically to get to the very top of people, you know, because I mean, think about that. People who are Olympic champions train all their lives and then for every four years to perform for maybe a few seconds. Yeah. A few seconds, maybe a few minutes, right? And then if they medal, they medal. If they don't, they don't. And then they do it again or they or they do something else. Many of them go on and compete in other places around the world, or they teach, or they do. But the point is, is they understand the value of coaching. They understand the value of conditioning. They know the, the, the importance of attitude and mindset and how to become unstoppable. And that's what got Jamie through, was his attitude, his faith, his certainty, his will, not just the hard work, because the hard work wouldn't have happened if this wasn't there first. And, and I think the so oh go go ahead. No, and if, if it wasn't if he wasn't doing it in his head and his heart, he wouldn't be doing it in his words and his body. And so much of what happens with being able to put the blame elsewhere. I mean, you're only gonna you're always gonna have that crutch of that it's still not all my fault. So then yeah, you can't put all that stuff into you. Like if you accept that as all your your fault i guess it's not the best word for it all, all your all your experiences because of you that you can you can change that but if it's like if it's always oh yeah like i was getting i was getting screwed over like that that was not my fault like i it was i did everything perfect there's there's no improvement there that's just always just going to be sitting there spinning your gears or even um you know something like going back and if there, there's trauma or something um uh, in the past and just always blaming something else for any of that going on and um not wanting to move forward with it it's well it, it's very much a part of our culture it's uh very much a part of religion it's very much a part of politics it's very much a part of media it's very much a part of of psychology there's something lurking in your background that's preventing you from doing this you know and so blah 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 you're broken or you did this or you did your inner child has been wounded and blah. Mm, okay you know you sabotage yourself i mean i talk about that in my book there is no such thing as self-sabotage the you know and the reason for that is because the brain only works in one direction it can only do what it's learned to do it can't your brain doesn't judge you and go rex or rusty you should be doing this you should do it you might do that i might do that we talk to ourselves but the brain doesn't do that the brain just does what it learned to do so if it learned to smoke or overeat or bite nails or be an olympic athlete that's what it does now if you decide right. you want to change it and stop smoking you bring this whoa 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 wait a second you're a smoker <laughs> yeah you're a smoker i'm gonna smoke because that's what i do and you go no you're not gonna smoke and then it says yes you are and you say no not and it says yes you are it's not sabotaging you you're sabotaging it yep by trying to stop these learned processes with, 
if you learn how to cooperate with it, then change becomes easy. And why, why I wrote the book and why I do what I do is because it doesn't have to be hard. It, it can sound like you don't have to be an Olympic athlete. You don't have to put that dedication. You, you know, you could, and, you, and, and I think it's desirable, but I wrote the book because it can be fun and easy and delightful. And you can take tiny little baby steps because baby steps taken consistently in the right direction can lead you all the way up to the top of Mount Everest. You know, you you know, so it's, it's the consistency and you're not going to do it if it's not fun and delightful, if it's painful and it's a struggle and it's hard and it's all that stuff, you're probably not going to do it because most people don't like to self-flagellate. They don't like pain and suffering. They want something right. to be better. I mean, the reason why we don't change a lot is because we don't want to leave our comfort zones. A comfort zone can be something where it's excruciatingly painful. We suffer and wallow and whine, but that's what we know. It's familiar. It's a habit. And But leaving that and doing something different is far scarier to some people than staying and suffering. So I wrote right. the book to help people to change because you know, Jesus, I'll quote Jesus, said, you know, or the Bible says, unless you become as a little child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But what is a little child? And, and I have been arguing this for 40, 40, 50 years now, a couple of things. One is in the 70s and 80s, my work in 90s, I got criticized in books by, because I said the point is to make the placebo effect conscious, meaning what is the placebo effect? It's, it's not the pill. It's not the substance, it's the belief, it's the attitude, it's the expectation that what you're doing, whether it's an, a legitimate medicine or one that you think is legitimate medicine, can help you. Right. And or if you think it's not going to help you, it won't help you. There's a placebo effect, there's a nocebo effect. And when I there's started- There's nocebo. Right. When I started, there was a handful of studies on placebo and beliefs and, you know, neural wiring and, and there was no such word as neuroplasticity, but we used to say, you can grow new neural pathways, you can learn and develop your brain is not a computer. It's not hardware. It's not a jar that's filled. It's like a growing living thing. It's like a jungle. And the more you nurture it, and the more you tend to it, the more it will grow. And, and we had that based on experience. People come into my workshops and I say, go roll down a hill, go skip, go dance, become like a little child again, you know, go because little children learn more through play and delight and laughter and smile. They learn hatred. They learn intolerance. They learn to be frustrated, angry, and fearful from the people around them, from the experiences around them, from primary caretakers and media and everything else. But we're not born like that, right? We might come with a little baggage, you know, DNA predisposition. But even then, what science is telling us now is that it's it's not that big a deal to come in with the, the predispositions. It's it's what you do with it and the environment and how that intersects that makes a difference. So the placebo is one thing. Then the other thing was, you know, I would get people to laugh and play, to sing, to meditate, to dance, to do these silly things, to do cartwheels out. And, you know, we had a hundred acre retreat center where people could go boating and they could walk and they could ride horses and they could do cartwheels and roll down hills. They could do blind trust walks and falls and I mean, all this kind of stuff. But it was play. It was fun. It was, and people say you're not taking personal change seriously enough. Exactly. And, and I would go, yeah, you're absolutely right. And these people are transforming their lives. They're having an experience of what it's like to be free. They're liberating themselves from the conditioning and the thinking that's held them back. And they're doing things in their own best interests. And they're leaps and bounds. So here's here's what comes out now more recently about learning. They go. Oh, it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert or it takes 400 consistent repetitions in order to develop the neural pathways unless you do it through play, which takes 10 to 20 repetitions. So, the, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I go, okay, I've got all the arrows in my back from being a champion of this stuff for, you know, 40 or 50 years. And so as maybe some other people do. But the point is, is that you learn more through play and delight and fun. And so what I want to do is I want to offer that experience to people. And it, there are boot camps and places where people can flagellate themselves and beat themselves up and the no pain, no gain people. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's my message. And what I don't do, I'm doing it more here now because we're talking about, I don't talk much about myself. You know, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about the people who are listening to us right now and watching us right now and the ones who want to make the changes and the benefits that they get from practicing the stuff that I'm offering. It doesn't matter whether I'm in the Screen Actors Guild or wearing a Hawaiian shirt or have, you know, a car or not, you know, those things are, you know, I mean, yeah, you can talk about social proof and all that stuff, but it's about them. It's about you. It's about us as people 
living the kinds of life we want. Hence the title, Life on Your Terms. Create the life you want. That doesn't mean crush everybody else because you don't have to. That means you're you're far you're going to get further faster if you work cooperatively in harmony with everybody else because they will help you live the life that you want to live and you will help them live the life they want to live. And guess what? That saying, a rising tide floats all the boats or rises all the boats and everyone in it. So it's about uplifting and edifying and helping everyone. Yeah, and um, I mean that's why that's why I charge sixty nine ninety five for all my guests to be on my show. I'll bill that to you later on. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean it it should be that way. And I mean just being able to step away and have you know some people are are going to look at you funny, but you know you'll be able to look at them funny too and be like well, they, they don't understand why i i feel this way they don't understand why i'm this way and that's okay i'm this is how i am i'm happy i'm good i'm good great that well well you know what i was talking about when i was 18 years old and i got hawaiian shirts and drawstring pants prior to that that thought didn't even enter my mind if you told me you're, one day you're going to be wearing drawstring pants and Hawaiian shirts I said you're absolutely insane I would never do anything you could tell me and I I mentioned this in the book too you know if if I dressed you up in Elvis Presley's sequence white jumpsuit you might feel uncomfortable about it. you go that's not me I would never wear anything like that. but I promise you if you wore it around you did it for a right. few weeks or months it'd be you'd be doing it there are people out there who peacock you know they wear the heavy hats and the things and they dress and they wear the bling and this and the other that's them you know they're like look at me i have the you know and um yeah. but but you know if i'm not somebody's cup of tea fine maybe i'm not today maybe a year from now 10 years from now i am because I, drawstring pants right. and hawaiian shirts weren't for me at one time either you know, it, it's all in its own time. If somebody's turned off by me, they're turned off by me. I, 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 I say this very carefully. I don't care. That doesn't mean I don't care about them. But it right, does. it's like if somebody doesn't like me, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I'm going to live my life and do it. And if they come around, they come around. If they don't, they don't. God bless them. God love them. You know, may they get all their dreams. I'm not going to resent them or hate them or, or you know, that kind of stuff. It's, 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 the world is enough places, there's, you know, it's big enough to include all, all of the choices that we have. And hopefully, though, people will pick more choices that are peaceful, joyful, loving, kind, accepting, generous, compassionate, you know, as opposed to anger, fear, hatred, intolerance, and, and the rest. So, yeah. And I mean, so the, the Hawaiian shirt and drawstring pants, they, uh, they green eggs to ham to you. Um, you know, and that's, that's how I am. I feel <laughs> I with uh, those Crocs. Like I was like, these are the stupidest things. And then yeah, I wear them, and now I just wear them. So I'll, like almost all the time, that's just kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to wear this. This is dominant. But then now I'm I'm wearing it, and I like it. Well, you know, I mean, I hate to go back to the clothes thing, but you're right. I mean, my thing is, I wear the clothes I'm comfortable with, and and I can wear a suit. I'm not as comfortable in a suit because it's, I don't like ties. I don't like to put, you know, things against my right. neck and things like that. I'd rather have a t-shirt and a suit. I mean, I do that more than I do ties, but I, I do wear a tie, you know, uh, a belt or, or shoes, you know, that, that are restrictive. Yeah. I like being comfortable. Some people like being dressed or like being the center of attention or like looking like they're, you know, wealthy or whatever, you know, but I like being comfortable. So if somebody looks at me and goes, who's that sloppy old guy? I'm like, if they go, hey, who's that wonderfully guy, funny, goofy guy in the Hawaiian shirt? I go, you know, I mean, I'm comfortable being me. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole thing is getting to that point. And I mean, once you're comfortable being you, uh, and it's, it's sort of have this, I told it on, uh, it, it didn't get put on. I, I was on a... Uh, a talk show of sorts uh of it was a denominational talk show and this did not make air um that uh once once you shit your pants you can't shit your pants anymore and um i it's it's okay and i mean it's great you you get to that point and then you're what what's what's going to happen i i feel like i'm i'm free to do whatever right now there's there's nothing it's not going to be worse and I, I feel good. I feel liberated and ready to go. Let's do this. You know, it's 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 an that's beautiful. It really is beautiful. It's it's an amazing thing. 
I what I brought to the NLP community and the communities that I've been in is, is varied experience. I mean, I'm an actor, I'm a filmmaker, producer. I, I've done a lot of different things. I've never really held a job other than to teach and to act and to, you know, I mean, a couple things here and there. But you know, I, I've always been devoted to to um, sharing and and creating. But because of acting, um, I've been in those schools that I would go in and, and at the time it was boot camp. So I go, tear me a new one, break me down, destroy my ego, reduce me to a puddle, you know, so that I can rebuild. And I, and I, I would tell friends who were acting coaches of mine, you know, I said, do this. And, and they would do it gladly because that's kind of like what their sure. expertise was. And I would suffer through it. I'd go, oh, my God, I can't believe I asked for this. And now I'm getting it. Um, but the thing is this, there are people who are afraid to be embarrassed. Think about what that means. I don't want to make a mistake in front of other people. And, and we look to other people often, you know, like if we were at a black tie event, we don't know what fork or spoon or what to do. We look at other people who appear to know what they're doing and try and follow them so we fit in. We don't want to stand out as somebody who's ignorant of what's going on. You know, you eat your soup this way, not this way. <laughs> you know? Sure. Right, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> but if you've really been embarrassed, and I have, if you've really been yeah. embarrassed, it takes the sting out of it. If what you said, you shit your pants, you can't do it anymore. It's like right. if once you've really gone, you know what? I've lost everything, which I have. I've lost my dignity. I've lost my self respect. I've lost all my friends. I left a fiance. I left my business. I've lost money. I've lost more than once, but not everything the same. But I mean, I've lost money more than once or whatever. But once you've done that, it's like, well, what else can you do? Right. You know, it's, I've yeah. been, so, so, so if I go, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a story and where I got this and learned this. I was sitting on a park bench in a bus stop, actually, in, in Los Angeles late at night after bar. I don't remember why I was there or what I was doing. I was I, you know, I, I, either going to my car or whatever. But I was sitting on this bus stop and I watched these guys across the street. And one guy's walking down the street <clears throat> and he, trips on a, a, a raised part of the sidewalk you know stumbles and he gets a few feet and he looks back like and then he looks around you know what was that and then like did anybody see that no okay and then he continues right and i thought wow you know i only i'm across the street i mean i don't even know if you know me but i but in my head i just made this note wow the guy is checking out to see if anybody saw him trip well within an 15 minutes or a half hour, this, this very drunk person comes walking down the street with a bag and a, you know, a bottle and he's doing this thing and everything and he's staggering all over the place and he stops and he actually turns this way, you know, just to face me across the street and he goes like this and he falls back into a, a plant, into a bush and all you can see is his feet sticking out of the bush. So he's, you know, he's heading back around the ground or somewhere in there. And uh, a few seconds go by and you hear. <laughs> Beautiful. And he cracks up and he laughs and he laughs. And he laughs for five or 10 minutes. He's pulling himself out of the bush. He's laughing and he goes staggering <laughs> down the street. And I'm like, that's how I want to be. I don't want to be drunk to do it. I just don't right. want to care. I want to, I want to celebrate life. I want to live where the life is joyful. I don't want to be the guy going, you know, somebody see me make a mistake. You know, my whole life is over. And, and the other yep. thing is, 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 you know, Shelley Winters, you know, in, in the in the actor's studio and things like that, they were challenged to how how severely can you humiliate yourself so that you get it out of you, you know, and, and I won't go into her story. But the point is, is that, you know, uh, as actors, those, those were the kinds of things that sometimes we faced. I went to other acting classes that said, we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to deal with, you know, how you appear on camera or how you appear on the stage. And because you also, what I wanted was in acting class, they had you go into your pain and your suffering and everything. And, uh, and you hate it. Right. I mean, because you're in there every day digging through stuff in one workshop, the, the director of the workshop, who's still a friend of mine to this day. And I mean, I love him would say, uh, okay, go into this. And the people who do this would be on the floor, writhing in pain, crying, screaming, whatever, wallowing. You go, oh, okay, it's four o'clock, got to go. And he'd leave. The workshop was over. And they'd be like completely, you know, psychologically devastated or whatever. 
No, right. no, here, build yourself back up, pack yourself back up and go. It's just like, okay, you know, devastation and bye. So um, I decided that I wanted to have an on and off switch so that whenever I was uh, the camera, the, the director said action, I was the character. And when they said cut, I was me. I didn't want to be Abraham Lincoln for six months or Charlie Manson for, a, you know, as long as it took to me. I didn't want to be the crazy person on the set that nobody liked because I was, the, you know, the, the whatever. Right. And you don't have to be. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy anyway, because when you think about it, Stephen Railsback, who played Manson or people who play Dahmer, they're not out there killing people. Probably. There's, there's, well, I mean, what I'm saying is hopefully. Yeah. You know, probably is a good one. But hopefully they have enough disconnect to know that even while I'm doing this method and I'm saying I'm this character and I'm staying in character for, you know, eight months or whatever it is, they're not actually being the character. Yeah, you, you don't want to, uh, uh, how do I, work yourself into a shoot. Like you don't, like if it's, uh, you don't want to have, you know, you don't want to make that, that, false reality become your actual reality, reality. that's what a lot of people have done in, in everyday life they make a false reality something from the past as that that's the reality and they live from it and they suffer from it and they go through it when it could be otherwise now i did know shelly winters and um i never liked her as much knowing her and having dinners and things with her as i did after she explained something about marlon brando when i and i kind of got this whole new respect for her at the time she said because Marlon Brando refused the Oscar in the 70s for Godfather and said, you know, whatever political. And when people would ask him about it, he goes, ah, acting, oh, acting. Oh. It's, it's like sharpening pencils. Anyone can do it. And I go, well, that's easy for you to say you're an Academy Award winning actor and everybody else is trying to be. And you're going, it's like sharpening pencils. And I'm thinking it's the best thing that's ever happened, right? He he kind of dissed it and he, and he didn't really care about it. And he didn't take it seriously after a while. But as a young man, he was very, very dedicated to it. And, and Shelley said, I think because of his training of going into his pain so frequently and so consistently and so for long that he attached that pain to acting. He just didn't like it after a while because what it meant to him was pain, you know, and, sure. and that's how he lived his life. And, and so many people do that about anything, whether it's a relationship, acting or career loss or something, they carry this stuff with them. They resent themselves, the world, the, the lack of opportunity or whatever happened to them. And instead of saying, you know what, I'm done, I'm going to be free, I'm going to change, I'm going to live a life differently, I'm going to aim my boat in a different direction, they stay, they, they allow themselves to be a victim of it. And when are you a victim is when you have one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat, because you ain't going anywhere. Right. And then, but you also get that little bit of like a people feeling sorry for you, some little serotonin boost or something every time. And it's like, it's a cheap one. It's a, like, a, it's not like a, a real, you know, it's not a real feel good. It's just something that's just gonna pacify you until the next time you need. And then you can tell this sob story rather than taking taking it in for yourself and, you know, making yourself just like, go to go to something, go to what you need to be at. And and you could probably ask somebody, you know, would uh, what do you prefer, your own pity party with people who pity you, or would you like a personal power party where you are dynamic and charismatic and making your life come true and happy and healthy? You choose. It's dog shit or diamonds. You got to choose. Yeah. It's dog shit or diamonds. If you're one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat, if you want to get to your destination, you got to get in the boat to get there and then get there. But the question that I keep saying, or what I talked about earlier, is how you get there matters. Because if it's a pain to get there, then when you get there, it's still going to be a pain. You're going to, you know, and, but if it's a joy to get there, then whether you get there or not, you've had a joyful time. Yeah. And uh, so that, that brought it right back. I like how you did that. That was good. Uh, and so to get back to that, then, so then how, how are people going to get your book? How are they going to follow you around um, in, Great during, <laughs> down back alleys and stuff if they want Um how how are they going to find you on the in the world? Rusty, I love that. it. Well, they can Google me, and I'm all over the internet. They can find me all over the internet. If they just Google my name, and if they spell it correctly, but uh, <laughs> right there it says rexsykes.com. That's my website. I've got programs and products there that I hope people will look at and explore. If you like what we're talking about, I invite you to do that. And then it says forward slash book. If you go to the rexsykes.com forward slash book, it will be about my book. And if you want the book, and I hope you buy the book, I created it once, I'm selling the book, you know, you get that. But the po point is, is it's powerful. By the way, here's another thing I've never done. 
I have asked for endorsements, but I never write my own endorsements. That's another thing that happens a lot in the business. They write their own testimonials and people sign off on them. And I've had people tell me, I'll, I'll write you, you know, write me a testimony and I'll sign it. And I go, no, I, if you're not willing to say what you think about the book, if you haven't read it, if it doesn't come from your heart, I don't want it because I know what I think, but I'm not interested in putting your name on it. It doesn't matter. So anybody who's endorsed my book or reads a testimony about my programs, my products, is because they wanted to and, and gave us permission to reproduce those. It's not me, you know, saying, here's what I think about myself and I'm attaching names to it. So if you go and get the book, it'll tell you, go get the book at Amazon. And it's a deal that we have. You go get the book, you buy the hardcover, the softcover from Amazon, you come back with your receipt code, you put it in a special box on rexlex.com forward book and all the instructions are there. It's very simple. You will get immediate access, immediate access to a $497 valued training that I'm giving you as a bonus on, it's called the mastery loop. It's something I've been teaching for almost 40 years or more. And it's about mastering your thoughts, your feelings, your speech, your behaviors to get better results, whether it's a talent, a skill, an ability, you know, and, and it's how you do that with more fun and delight and, and the innocence of a child. Because when you play, it takes a whole lot less effort to become good at something than if, I mean, and lastly, just think about it this way. My, my book is a study. I hope you study it. I hope you buy it. I hope you read it. But if you just read a book to finish it and put it down, it's not nearly as valuable as if you read it and apply what you learn. In the same way, you can sit and you can study something and get tested on it and do well on a test or do poorly on a test. And all you've done is memorize things. But if you read a book about playing basketball and you've never played basketball, you don't have any experience of basketball. You want to get good at playing basketball, play basketball. And if you love it and you want to play it and you enjoy playing it, you'll get better quicker because you enjoy it because it's passion, it's fun, it's a play for you, it's delight. And then you'll play it because you wanna play it all the time. Then if you read a book about playing basketball, it makes a whole lot more sense because you've had the experience of playing basketball. Now you can hone things and correct things and use practices and principles to do it. So there's kind of a sequence in order, you know, life comes first. <laughs> if you wanna juggle, realize you're gonna drop some balls, but if you keep at it, you'll get good at it. You know, you'll, you, but if you stop, you, you'll stop wherever you stop. So the, get the book, go to rexlikes.com forward slash book. And I do say, get it. It's a great book and people and the people who have endorsed it and are leaving ratings and reviews on Amazon. They do it from their heart. They do it because they're convinced, you know, that what they're saying is important for the world to hear. And I appreciate that. Excellent. Well, I, Rex, thanks so much. I yeah, very much enjoyed getting to talk with you and not you know mean, where we're going. So it it's, uh, you know, that, that's host. what you I know, like. You're a great host. You, 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 you uh, asked wonderful questions and made beautiful comments. I mean, I've been a delight to be and an honor and a privilege to be here with you. And uh, Thank uh, you. I hope that you're, uh, listener and your viewers, your audience continues to grow all around the world. And I hope that uh, they come and contact me too. Yeah, I hope so too. Well, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, stay in touch and uh, I'll, I'll have you back on here in maybe a few months or something if you're Anytime. up for that. Anytime. This okay. has been a really wonderful time. Absolutely. Likewise. Take care. Take care. All right. That's Rex Sykes. Um, yeah. If you're watching this on YouTube or Rumble, you can check it out. Uh, the how how to get to his website is r e x x i k e x. <laughs> I said that wrong. There's these so many letters that are so close. R e x x r e x s i k e s dot com. That's that. And if you want the book, yeah, at slash book at the end. You guys, thanks so much for being here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network. Check out other shows on the network, like When the Gloves Come Off, Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast, and this is it with Lizzie and Saved by the Ben. Uh, again, the show is brought to you by Fred Ben Savage's Fuck, Stone Rings Productions, Hardcore Entertainment, Hypnosis, great. Sock them up. Go to sockemup.org. Get sock people up, you know? Give people some socks. People need socks. So thank you so much. Like, share, subscribe, download, do all that. Pass it around. And that is the show, man. Boom.